If we've never met before, my name is Tyler, and I'd love to pray before we dig in. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks. We don't need more words from human beings, God. We need you. We need you to meet us where we are. And so I pray that this would not just be an exchange of information, but an invitation for transformation. God, would you speak to us and cause us to to come back to you and to entrust you with change in our lives at last. God, I need you. We need you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing this series called The Early Church. Last week, we were exploring a passage in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit showed up, moved in power in the early church. And the early church at the time received the power from the Holy Spirit and the gifts of tongues. They began to speak in other languages. And we see a few different responses. Some were amazed, some were perplexed, and others dismissed it. In fact, they even said, these people must be drunk. So you can imagine, God's moved and then people can't make sense of it. They're like, they must be drunk. And so Peter, one of the apostles, stepped up and addressed the crowd. Now this is the guy that cuts people's ears off and denies Jesus. And and yet he experienced some pretty transformative things in his life. He steps up and he addresses this crowd that is saying they must be drunk. And he says, they're not drunk. It's the morning. There hasn't even been time for them to drink. And instead what he does, instead of being offended and responding, he instead uses it as an opportunity to divinely point the connections and fill in the dots of all that had happened pointing to Jesus. Instead, what he does is he references a prophetic word, a fulfillment of a prophetic word, a word from God given to the prophet Joel. And so we find ourselves in Acts 2, starting in in verse 17. Acts 2, starting in verse 17, and we see Peter quoting Joel. And it says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I don't want you to miss and understand even the context or crowd and community that is listening to this. They would have had whole sections, most of, much of the Old Testament completely memorized. So when he's quoting this to them, they'd be going, yep, I know this one, yep. And what he's doing is he's giving context to these words from Joel. He's helping them to connect the dots. You know what Joel said a long time ago? This is actually speaking to right now. And he's helping them to see how what is happening is actually fulfillment of what God has been doing. 
And then he goes back even further. He talks about what has just happened, and then he talks about recent events that they would have had very fresh in their mind. He talks about the Holy Spirit falling on people. And the language here is not just like a sprinkle, like a little dusting. It's a torrential downpour of the Holy Spirit on everything, coating everything. And this was a fulfillment of the prophets. And then Peter circles to even other events that happen a little bit further. He points out that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. The Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they'd been desperately pleading, God, send us someone to save us, to rescue us. And Peter goes, he did. And what did they do? It says in one of the verses that with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But in the midst of that, God was at work. And God raised him back to life. Death could not hold Jesus in that grave after the cross. And Peter, begin, he continues to preach as he circles back even further. If you read in this long section of Acts, you'll find him beginning to speak about King David, going back even further. King David of David and Goliath fame. And for the Jewish people, David was the best representation they had of the Messiah. This image, the warrior king who brought peace and the sword in their midst. And he's talking about David to them. And he tells the crowd that even David himself spoke of Jesus, the Messiah, and his resurrection from the dead. In verse 32, it says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Peter is speaking, and he's saying, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. This is why in, in the first week that we talked about this, we talked about having power to be witnesses. We see the power that raised Jesus from the dead, and we are witnesses of this fact. But this is so much more than just for us today. This is speaking to a group of people that aren't just conceptual witnesses to historical things. They watched it with their eyes. They saw that Jesus was dead and then he was alive. It was undeniable. And I want you to understand that this is the very center point of our faith, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And in Acts 2, verse 36, Peter says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. So he takes them on this journey through Scripture of unpacking how everything lines up. And it says in verse 37 that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, or the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? In light of all of that, what do we do? It pierced their hearts. You ever have something that it pierces your heart and you're going, what do, what do I do with that now? I can't go back. There is always 
always, always action connected to what we would call revelation. Revelation is when you actually understand that something is true. When it, when it hits your heart and you're going, that is true. And when we experience truth, certainly when we experience truth personified through Jesus, it causes us not to just stay where we are, but it causes us to go, now what must I do? There are moments in church services, in co-groups, in random coffee meetings, that through God's power, by God's power, that someone will speak something to you and you know it's God. And it'll, it'll cut right to the heart of you, pierce your heart, and you will go, that is true. And I think God's trying to get my attention. And it causes us to ask the question that this group asks, what, what should we do? What must I do? And Peter replied, each of you, must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, on one hand, I don't want to go any further without giving an invitation here that this is the gospel message, the invitation for any of us that maybe have never given our life to Jesus or are in a place where we have put that to the side and have not in this place surrendered our life to Jesus. In this stage of our life, we're holding on. I want you to know that you have an opportunity or invitation to even do that right now, to do exactly what we see these men and people doing. If you need to repent of your sin and turn to God for the first time, I want to invite you to do it. Do it in this place. Talk to the prayer team after. I want you to know that Jesus lived and died and rose again to restore the broken relationship that you have with God, that we have with God. Sin separates us from God. Sin is everything that misses the mark of perfection. And some of us struggle with the idea of sin, but none of us would pretend like we are perfect. But God is perfect. And so our sin, our sin separates us. It creates this chasm between us and God. And this gap between us and God, we can't close on our own no matter how much we try and what we do. Instead, Jesus on the cross bridges the gap between us and God. But in order to experience this restoration through Jesus, we have to acknowledge our brokenness and our sin. We cannot be content to just simply go, you know what, I, I go to church every once in a while and I do church things and I think I'm a Christian. Instead, we have to recognize in our life that there is this sense of acknowledging my brokenness and sin and desperate need of a Savior. And in that, as we acknowledge our brokenness and surrender to him, we find Peter saying, and then we need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ experiencing forgiveness of our sins, and then receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, just as an aside on this whole baptism thing, our plan is to host a baptism service in November. We're just ironing out a few details and what that will look like. But if you have never been baptized, November's a good time to do it. And I want to just address a lie that some of us believe. Some of us believe, I'll get baptized when I'm ready, whatever that means. 
I'll get baptized when I have more answers or I'm a little bit more mature, then I'll get baptized. Do you want to know what the pattern is in Scripture? We actually we find it here. Believe and then be baptized. And it's not like believe, and then in six to eight months when you feel like, okay, then get baptized. There was a sense of urgency to go, hey, let's do it now. And so I want to encourage you. We don't have the tank right this second, so we're not, we can't do spontaneous baptisms, but you can sign up for November. And so fill out a connect card and let us know. We would love to be part of that. There's something so special and profound about celebrating life change and baptisms as a community. Let me acknowledge there is no one in the room that their idea of a celebratory Sunday night is to, is, or Sunday morning is to put on all their clothes and get dunked in a tank of water in front of random people, right? So there's a degree of you feel some hesitation, yeah. And yet, through thousands of years of history, this was the thing that was celebrated by the church. And so we acknowledge, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable and a little awkward, good, because then we get to celebrate evidence of life change for you. And as your church family, we get to cheer you on and go, we were there and we're cheering you on as you move forward. So pay attention to announcements in November for baptisms. Now, Peter is talking about this and he's talking about what they must do in response. But if we back up a little bit, he starts with this line that I want to I unpack more and I want us to spend some time in. When they're saying, what must I do? What should we do? He says to them, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. This is the posture for those of us that follow Jesus. This posture of repenting and turning back to God. The idea of repentance is this. If I'm walking in this direction, if I want to repent, I have to stop and go, I no longer want to go this way. And not just say it, like, I should go that way, but I actually have to position myself and begin to walk in a different direction. So we repent of our ways, and we turn again to God, and we go, I want you and only you. And I want to take a moment, and I want to unpack repentance for us from two different perspectives. One from the personal perspective, personal repentance, and the other of generational repentance. See, it's so important for us to not just acknowledge our sins, not just acknowledge our independence or our need for dependence, but to take what we acknowledge and repent and turn back to God. We have to actively, as Jesus followers, followers of the way of Jesus, live this life of continual repentance, continually identifying, I am trying to do my own thing, and God, I want you. I put my faith in all sorts of other things. I need to put my faith in God. And I want you to know that there is power in doing this. And there is not just power in doing this on our own with God, God, I repent. But there's power in doing this in community, in the context of co-groups, in the context of meetings with friends that love you and love Jesus, for us to actually become habituated to consistently repent. And I want to do something that maybe 
a little uncomfortable for some of us, and that's okay. I want to I model that today. So God has been using some challenges to highlight some areas in my heart that I'm identifying are not where they should be. And I believe that part of this, this whole idea is for me to actually model this and, and share where I'm repenting of. I want to just be really clear, nothing moral or disqualifying, nothing that you need to be anxious about. But, but the reality is, is that if we are considering the language of the New Testament, the church is a body. And the pastor is not the head of the body, Jesus is. And so for me to recognize and make sure I model of going, we all need, desperately need Jesus. It's not like I have this red phone to God and he says stuff to me and then he goes, dispense of it to everyone else. Instead, all of us need Jesus. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna share some areas and do it publicly. And I want to do this because I also would expect that we are doing this with each other. And this is not the first time I've shared these with anyone. But, but let me go through this. Personal repentance. So, I repent of making any of it, any of my life or church, about my performance or success and not God's grace. I repent of asking God to build his church and then feeling like I need to be responsible for doing the building. I repent of my lack of faith. I repent of my unmet expectations where I put expectations on God that he never promised. God, I repent of my unbelief, of my fears that are so self-centered and self-deprecating. God, I repent of every time I let my identity be found in anything other than you. God, I repent of all the times I lay awake feeling like I should do more and forgetting who you say I am. I repent of putting the weight of responsibility on myself that you carried for me on the cross. I repent for thinking anything other than you would satisfy me. I repent for all unforgiveness, bitterness, and comparison. I repent for working for you instead of working from you with you. I would imagine that there's probably some that you go, I think I know some areas in my own life. And for me, what I'm sensing is that God's doing some deep stuff in me, and the invitation is to respond in obedience. I want you to know that this is not just something that we do every once in a while from the front or something that we do every once in a while in our co-group, but really as Jesus followers, should become a daily posture, that there's this daily posture of repentance and then faith, speaking to the lies and bringing God's truth. And I, I know that for some of us, that even as we reflect on repentance, if you're like me, you're really hard on yourself, and so you have all these things and this long list of things. And this idea of confessing it to others just makes you feel this sense of shame. Like, well, then they'll just say this or think this or whatever. Or maybe it exposes feelings of a lack of self-worth. And I want to just reframe this beauty of repentance for us. That rather than repentance being about living in an identity of failure, I am the sum total of all of my mistakes what posture does is it, it instead allows you to embrace this identity of dependence 
of beauty and of restoration. We reject the lies of who we say we are and we embrace who God says that we are. Repentance is an invitation again and daily to believe the good news of Jesus again. Peter's invitation here is to repent of our sins. And first we see this desire and and call to repent personally of our sins. But then we also see reference of that would speak to generational repentance in Acts 2, verse 40. It says this in Acts 2, 40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourself from this crooked generation. There is a passage that's found in Leviticus that speaks to this idea of repenting on behalf of generational sins. And not just our family and past, but but the things that we see around us. And I believe that we are invited to do that, certainly at Collective Church. For us to acknowledge some of the sins that we see around us and to come before God and allow it to break our hearts. We want to let God break our hearts for the things that are breaking God's heart in our current generation. And so I made a list of a few sins of our generation that that stood out to me. And it's not exhaustive, but maybe there's some things in this that you go, I see this. The sin of self. God, we repent for the ways we allow our life to become all about ourself and our comfort and not your way of life. Or isolation or moving away from community. We repent of the ways that we isolate ourselves from community, the way we do our own thing, and we reject your way of life around a table or the sin of ease. We repent of the lie that life is meant to be easy. We reject the times that we are bitter about facing the difficulties of following you because we know we are in good company when we face challenges. Or the sin of personal freedom. We repent of the lies of how we define freedom as doing whatever we want. Because we know that true freedom comes from you and your way of life. The sin of DIY, do-it-yourself faith. We repent for the ways we make our faith you plus other things. Picking and choosing what makes us feel good and rejecting anything that confronts us. We want all of you and nothing else. Or the sin of identity. We repent of our idolatry and willingness to put our identity in anything other than being sons and daughters of the king and creator of the universe. I want you just to think for a moment. Think about your personal repentance and your areas of sin and disconnection. But consider the environment that we are in. When you look around you, when you interact with people, hopefully people that don't think like you and believe like you and people that don't yet know Jesus, do you see some of these sins? And rather than seeing sins in other people that you go, I'm so glad I'm not like that, do you find yourself, your heart breaks 
because you see they're exchanging truth for a lie and they're believing something that's harming them and you're going, this is not the way of life. This is a way that leads to death. Do Do you find yourself heartbroken for people in bondage or do you find the sense of pride swelling up? The sense of, I have got this figured out. And there we begin to see some areas where maybe, just maybe, we need to repent. And what Peter says, save yourselves from this crooked generation, let me just remind you, he is not saying you yourself can somehow be the Savior. Hey, save yourselves! Everyone go, it's the ship's going down, you need to save yourselves. It's none of that. Instead, what he's doing is he is causing us and challenging us to actively reject the ways of the world, the ways we've been formed by the world, the lies of the world, and instead choose the way of Jesus actively, daily, as we live in repentance, coming back and putting our faith in God. But in order to live in this way, it has to begin with repentance. All of it is at the core of this because it reflects our heart posture and who has say in our lives. And and I don't know, maybe in the room, maybe you go, I have some personal stuff I need to think about. I I know there's some sins, some things that separate me that at least put guardrails between God and I. And to ask the question, do you have a contrite heart that is going, God, I don't want this. God, help me. And are you willing to turn and walk towards him and stumble on your way, but not live your life just going, that's just who I am, but instead going, God, I repent of every single area that offends you and causes you to to help me to see that I'm putting my identity or my trust in something other than you, faith in my sin rather than faith in God. Or maybe it's generational stuff and you see stuff in your family or you see stuff in your friend group and you're like it just breaks your heart and you need to begin to repent on behalf of them to pray that God would break your heart for what is breaking his for us to see this as a divine invitation and so what I'd love for you to do and we'll create a little bit of space in a few moments I'd love for you even right now to begin to ask Holy Spirit, are there things in my life? Are there areas that are putting walls between you and I? I say I want closeness. I say I want you, but I'm choosing all these other things. Some of us are so hesitant to ask that. I've had moments in my life where I'm like, God, I don't know if I want to ask because I know you'll give me an answer and I'm probably not going to like it. And yet this is following the way of Jesus. I've learned something about spiritual growth in my life. I've learned that very rarely does God start where I want him to start. I'm like, hey, God, I'm struggling in this area, so have your way and work. And he goes, perfect. And then he backs up four steps and deals with something completely different. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm good with that right now. That one, pretty, I'm okay. Or let's just pretend I'm okay. I really want to deal with that one. He goes, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Who's Lord here? You, me? Uh, You is the right answer I'm supposed to give. And so in our lives, are we willing to ask the difficult questions, God, do you see anything in my heart that offends you and bothers you or any area of my life where I'm living in idolatry or sin? Any area that I'm believing something that is not true, will you help me to see that? 
And then ask, God, will you give me a heart that is broken for the people that are around me, not so that I can feel like somehow I'm good or better, but instead to recognize that just maybe, just maybe you have positioned me to speak truth to people that desperately need it. Maybe, just maybe, I can be the one that helps point them to the one that actually restores that which is broken that leads towards the way of life. I want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit and then do the courageous work of responding to what he says and repent. Stop going in your own direction and turn again to him. Maybe you need to take the incredibly terrifying step of repenting to someone else. Every single person that ever has taken a step to turn to someone and to share where they're struggling, I want to just commend you, regardless of how the person on the other side responded, God is proud of you when you do that. Because what it does is it brings the stuff that we keep in the dark into the light and it has no more power. It is transformative. This way of community is so incredibly essential for those of us that follow the way of Jesus. And so ask the Holy Spirit, invite him to speak and then respond to what he's saying and repent. And my challenge would be is that every single day live this life of daily repentance and faith. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is always speaking and he's always trying to get your attention and he's trying to help you in different areas, some of which, some of which that you are avoiding. And there is a passage in Hebrews that I often think about because the truth is that we're giving a, given a choice on how we respond to God's voice and his leading. It says this in Hebrews 3, verse 15, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. For so many of us, God starts to confront some stuff in us or challenge us or, or convict us of something and we find ourselves just hardening our hearts. Why? Because we don't want to feel the pain of that. We just want to feel better. This is one of the cultural things for us. We just, how quickly can I get to being good? And he goes, let me do the deep work. And you're like, do it quick. And so we feel this sense of being exposed. Who better to be exposed to than the creator of the universe who sees every single bit of us and yet loves us more than we might imagine? And so he says, let me do the work that I need to do. I want to remind you that God does his best speaking in the context of community. I find the people that say all the time, God told me, often go back and forth and back and forth. And yet, when we read scripture and find God speaking, when we hear him whispering to us through prayer, and when we bring it into community, God speaks most powerfully. Because he does it in a way where we recognize that God does not speak through individuals only, but in the context of community. For us to wrestle with, here's what I'm feeling, sensing, thinking, what do you think? And then to wrestle it down and go, what is, what is God actually up to in this moment? This is at the core of our co-groups. Our co-groups are our smaller communities that meet through the week where we spend time, yes, unpacking things and yes, connecting with each other, but also hearing what is God saying and what do I do about it? I don't want to just stay where I am and simply live my life on, on cruise control. I want to actually find out what this looks like and have a group of people that go, we're with you. 
And, and in co-groups, we have certain questions that you might talk about in response to some of the sermon. And you know what? If you get through one or none, but go exactly where God wants you to go in that conversation, that's a win. Because it's not about information. We don't need to know more and know more and know more. We need to let what we know transform our hearts and change how we live. And we do that in community where we're willing to share vulnerably and repent together. And to say, God, what are you saying? I don't want to harden my heart. I want to do what you're asking me to do. And I want you to think, because as he speaks, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us personally in community, we have the invitation, am I going to harden my heart? Or am I going to soften my heart and allow him to actually do the transformative work of changing my life? What do I want? Do I want it badly enough? Because he's inviting us, trust me. And the, the most transformative thing is for us to repent and go, I'm trusting you again. I have, I'm bringing my mustard seed of faith to trust that you can change my life. Every single time I don't harden my heart, but I actually allow you to speak. So in this passage in Acts 2, Peter is speaking of Jesus. He's pointing people to Jesus. He's pointing how every single thing up until this point has directed people to Jesus. He's using the Old Testament and what we know as the New Testament. He's pointing to Jesus as the Messiah and he's causing people to reflect, what must I do? And he invites people to repent of their sins and put their faith in God through Jesus. And as a result of this simple but profound message in verse 40, 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. Now, one more sign, believe, be baptized. They heard it. They got baptized, joined the church. And finally, we find about 3,000 people in all. Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine 3,000 people repenting, putting their faith in Jesus, and then being baptized right then? They're like, what do I need to do? And you're like, be baptized. They're like, let's go right now. And you're like, I guess we're going. And then there's 3,000 people that do that. But I want us to recognize here that the Spirit moved, and not with something fancy, it wasn't like this beautiful thing that spoke to something and was using words to manipulate, but instead just the simple message of Jesus that transforms people's lives. See, as a church, this is why we say we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus because we believe that Jesus changes everything. And that's not some spiritual language that we say because we're supposed to. Many of us have lived that out, experienced how the good news of Jesus transforms our heart and the things that we believe and causes us to reject the way of death and destruction and instead choose the way of life. 3,000 people baptized and added to the church. Now, when we look at this passage, what, what do I believe, just pastorally, what I believe God's invitation is for us? So I think I've been really clear that I, I believe that a huge portion of that is our personal and even willingness to generationally repent. Now, let me just be clear. That's not like something where we're praying on behalf of people going, that's where the heavy lift. I'm just going, 
let's, let's actually take on the stuff we see around us because it impacts us more than we realize. And let's live our lives and going, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Keep my heart soft to the people around me that do not yet know Jesus. Keep my heart soft to the sin in my own life that trips me up and causes me to put distance between me and you, God. If we see in the church in history and we see significant movements of renewal, of life in the church, it always begins with repentance. It begins with a group of people that go, I don't want this anymore. I've tried my way and I need you. Or some of us that go, you know what, I'm just kind of settling for comfortable Christianity. And, and we get to this point and go, I want more, God. I want all of you. I'm unwilling to give you any more guardrails. I give it all to you. That kind of experience in people's lives historically has changed the church. Why? Because it no longer becomes about you. It becomes all about Jesus and his power at work through you. And so I believe wholeheartedly that we need to take it very seriously, the act of actually asking the Holy Spirit, what must I do? If we want God to move in our midst, we have to be willing to allow him to confront anything he wants. We must be willing to listen to his voice, repent, and then respond in faith. And as we do, as we live like this, I believe that we will experience, as a result of that, a level of gratitude and thanksgiving that will be magnetic to others. The first step for most of us is repentance. Repentance that continually keeps our hearts soft and surrendered to Jesus. Tim, Tim Keller has this quote where he's connecting repentance with rejoicing, or if we wanted to use the word thanksgiving on this Sunday. He says this, Rejoicing and repentance must go together. Repentance without rejoicing will lead to despair. Rejoicing without repentance is shallow and will only provide passing inspiration instead of deep change. Maybe you can relate to that. Passing inspiration. I felt this moment like I was ready to go. And God goes, perfect, now bring all your garbage to me. And you're like, no, I feel too good. I like this mountaintop. And he goes, get in the valley with me. And you go, not right now. And it just leads to this passing inspiration. And instead what we want is deep change, repentance that causes us to then rejoice in the good news of who God says that we are. And so I believe as we reflect on thanksgiving, God is inviting us to begin with repentance. And I'd like to take a few moments to do that. And then I want to connect something at the very end. So let's just take a moment right now. And if you just bow your heads, close your eyes. And we'll just take a couple of moments of silence just to ask, God, is there anything that you're causing us to recognize we need to repent of? And is there anything in our generation that you're breaking our hearts with? Simply listen. Holy Spirit, come.
Let me just take a moment before we respond in worship and remind you why we can have repentance and rejoicing. Because we repent, and then in light of our acknowledgement of our sin, we reflect again on his unfailing love. We read it from Psalm 136. Though we were sinners, and though we rebelled, he sent his son to live and die for us. Jesus rose again. We treasure repentance, reminding ourselves that our past, that our performance is not our identity. Our identity is found in Jesus alone. We are people of thanksgiving because Jesus lives. Let's pray. God, I know that you want to speak to each one of us. I know that there can be some areas that right now we feel confronted or we're challenged with. God, give us the courage to not simply hear what you're saying, but to soften our hearts and allow you to move in us towards repentance. God, we turn from our way and instead put our faith in you again, God. God, we put you at the center of everything. We build our life on you. We put our identity again in you, in what you've done in the finished work on the cross, not on all the other things that we might try to bring like filthy rags before you saying, here God, see, I've done enough. But instead to again trust that you are the one who lived, died, and rose again to make a way for us, recognizing that we live in this state of continual repentance and surrender, not to earn anything, but as an overflow of what you continue to do in our lives as you change and transform us. God, I pray that this week we'd hear from you, whether it's through community, whether it's through scripture, your still small voice, that you would speak to us, that you would show us areas. God, I pray for courage for people in the room to repent and confess to each other. God, build your church. We need you. We trust you. Holy Spirit, come.